0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Now, a few scenarios from the early life of Jesus. Here he is as a schoolboy, and he's walking home from school in Nazareth, school at the local synagogue as it would have been. Got a few friends, it's a hot day, they're walking through the market area, and there in one of the fruit stalls, there's this big, juicy, big bunch of grapes hanging over the edge of the counter and it's in a section of the shop where the owner can't really see it and one of Jesus' friends says, what do you reckon guys, how about we take that bunch of bananas, Oh, that bunch of grapes rather, how about we take that bunch of grapes and it's a hot day and Jesus, the boy Jesus thinks, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Let's look at him in his late teenage years. And he's sitting at the front of his family home, again in Nazareth. And his next door neighbour, young Lydia, walks past. She's growing up next door. And Jesus is just relaxing. As she walks past, he thinks, wow, Lydia's growing up fast. I mean, she's really growing up fast. Mid-twenties. And Jesus is a partner with his dad in the carpentry business. And they get introduced to a shady guy who offers them a proposition to dramatically reduce taxation in the business. And uh, he puts the proposal, because it's highly illegal. But who wants to pay taxes to the Romans? And times are tough and business is tough. And just for a moment, Jesus thinks, hmm. Now, If you find any of those scenarios shocking or irreverent or even offensive, we shouldn't. We shouldn't find any of those possible scenarios uncomfortable because, you see, I've just simply tried to create a few situations that illustrate the truth of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Listen to this. Our high priest, Jesus, is one who cannot feel is one who cannot feel sympathy for our weaknesses. Sorry, he's not one. Is not one who cannot feel sympathy for our weaknesses. On the contrary, we have a high priest who was tempted in every way that we are. In every way that we are, but did not sin. Now, friends, the examples I've given are plausible possibilities. They're plausible possibilities of the sort of temptations Jesus may have faced. But the vitally important thing to remember is that unlike us, he didn't sin. He did not cross over that line. So, in a chat over coffee, where the question of how he handled temptation comes up, I think one of the first things Jesus is likely to say is this check what was reality for me. That's the first thing. Check what was real. Yes, I was tempted, as the word says, in all the ways you are, all the ways, no exceptions. It was an inevitable and necessary part of my humanity. I think that's what he'd say. But then I think Jesus would quickly move to review some of his teachings on temptation. He'd want us to be aware of those teachings. And his comment might be something like, check out what I've asked you to pray. And he'd add, I'm referring to my words in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, friends, look, at first glance, that verse might cause us to believe that it's God who leads us into situations of temptation. But of course, that's not so. And if you need reminding of this this morning, I'm going to remind you, that is not so. The Bible is quite specific about this. Let me remind you of James chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Look at this. Happy are those who remain faithful under trials and temptations, because when they succeed in passing such a test, they will receive as their reward the life which God has promised to those who love Him. If we are tempted by such trials, we must not say... This temptation comes from God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. There it is in the word, as clear as a bell. No, the central theme of this verse is the idea of God leading. Lead us not into temptation. The central idea is is God's leadership. As Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct, he will lead your paths. And there is a definite link. Look, there's a definite link between our ability to resist temptation in its many forms and the extent to which we are acknowledging God, submitting to God, allowing Him to lead us. Lead us not into temptation is not about having a casual, cavalier attitude to God, a fairly nominal approach to discipleship, a relaxed awareness of the dangers of sin. And then when we fall into temptation, Protesting to God, why have you let me into this? The fact is, He hasn't led us anywhere. Hasn't led us into sin at all. His guidance, we've relaxed His guidance and His leadership in our lives, and in so doing, we've lowered our resistance to temptation. That's how it works. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, friends, deliverance from evil is most certainly high. On God's agenda. It really is. That, that's, that's one of his top priorities. This is powerfully expressed by Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10 and uh, verses 12 and 13. Let me read this to you. First Corinthians chapter 10, 12 and 13. Look at this. If you think you are standing firm, you'd better be careful that you do not fall. Every test or temptation that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to people. But God keeps his promise. Note that word, promise. And he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you are put to the test, he will give you the strength, if you ask for it, to endure it and so provide you with a way out. Provide you at the time you are put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it. And so provide you with a way out. And I think at that point in the coffee conversation, I think Jesus might lower his cup and quietly remark, check how I confronted Satan in the wilderness. Have a little reminder about that. Because if ever there was an example of someone being given the strength to endure temptation and ultimately to make a choice to find the way out, it was Jesus and his confrontation with Satan in the wilderness. As we've discussed previously from this platform, looking at that passage of the temptation, those temptations that were flung at Jesus during that extended period of 40 days and 40 nights They were essentially designed to totally derail his mission and ministry. That's what they were designed to do. They were serious temptations. Had Jesus caved into any one of the temptations thrown at him by Satan, his entire ministry would have taken a totally different look and direction. And you know, almost certainly we wouldn't be here today. Almost certainly we wouldn't be because God's plan of salvation would have been dealt a mortal blow. It was that serious. Turn these stones into bread. Hey, look, Jesus, become the kind of Messiah that just meets people's material needs. Look, they'll really go for that. And then after you've fed the 5,000, you won't have to talk about the bread of life and then have them suffer the embarrassment and the indignity of them all drifting off. You won't have to say that. Because... They weren't interested anyway. And look, they're only interested in filling their stomachs. They're not interested in filling their spirits. So that's the first thing. Throw yourself off the top of the temple. Be a a kind of superhero, like a Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, all wrapped into one, where you just go around rescuing people and delivering them from harm and getting danger out of the way. Oh, gee, hey, Lord, they would love that. Oh, Jesus, that's the way to go. That would really get you some traction. And then the final temptation, bow down to me and all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. That's it. That's the way to go, Jesus. Political domination. That's the way to go. Out with all the oppressive regimes and in with your special brand of monotheism. The new world order. That's what you want, isn't it, Jesus? That's, that's the way to go. You've got it here. You can take the whole lot. Now, friends, we can see how yielding to any one of those temptations would have totally altered the nature of our Lord's ministry and mission. No suffering servant. No ransom for many. No God so loved that he gave. None of that, all gone. And so Jesus knew what was on the line during his time of severe testing and temptation, and doubtless he was also aware of his vulnerability at that point. Oh, wouldn't he have been aware of that? He was physically exhausted, 40 days, no food, no, no sustenance. He was hungry. He was tired. He was alone. And, and how important is it for us in our battles with temptation to be aware of our, vulnerable, our points of vulnerability? Which can be all the things I've just mentioned, which Jesus experienced, and you can throw in things like family tension, trouble at home, trouble in the marriage, severe financial strain, uh, the end of a painful relationship, uh, exposure to activities and people which we know have dragged us down before. I was in Las Vegas a number of years ago. I think, Confession time, no, uh, no, don't, please, I'm not going to, uh, you're going to be disappointed with that. Um, why, were, why was I in Las Vegas? I've been there many times because we, we sometimes go there on, as part of that biannual leadership trip I lead to the United States because we've got a huge church there, Central Christian Church in Henderson. If you're in Las Vegas, go to that church. It's a phenomenal church. It's in the top 10 of American churches size-wise. So we go there. So we were there and, and with this uh, group of ministers. And some of the guys said, hey, hey, Graham, you know Las Vegas. We'd love you to take us down to, to, uh, to uh, Caesar's Palace. I said, well, yeah, we could do that. This is down the road. So we trekked down the strip about 10, 15 minutes. And we go into Caesar's Palace, about five of us, just wandering around, having a bit of a look and you know, seeing what's happening. And we were there about maybe 10 minutes. And one of the guys said, look, um, I don't want to you know, spoil anybody's fun, but I, I, I'm feeling really, really uncomfortable about this. If you've been to Caesar's Palace, it's like something out of a a cartoon. You know, the the opulence and the, the the glitter and the it's just beyond imagination. He said, look, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable about this because this reminds me too much of my life before I became a Christian. And we just all paused and said, you know what? Maybe it's time for all of us to leave. So we all left in support of our friend. Now... It's interesting, like it was obviously the, the sights and the sounds were obviously affecting him differently to how they were affecting, say, me. Like, I'm no saint, but like the, you know, the gambling and the alcohol and the scantily clad women were not having the same effect on me as they clearly were on him in terms of, of the kind of pathway he'd chosen some years before. It's important to know our points of vulnerability, the things that we know are likely to get us into real strife. Back to Jesus in the wilderness. How did he confront Satan? Well, he kept quoting scripture for one thing. That's the first thing. Man shall not live by bread alone. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Three specific quotes out of what we know as the Old Testament, the only Bible Jesus ever knew. Three quotes from that particular word. And... Look, here's the point, friends. Here's the point. Jesus was very familiar with it. He knew what was in that that book. He knew its teachings. He knew its precepts. He knew the guidelines it laid out for effective living. He knew the boundaries in which to remain for effective living. He knew all that. You see, to walk the talk... You've got to know what the talk is. You've got to know what the talk involves if you're going to walk the talk. We need to know what the Bible says about right living. And we need to supplement our knowledge with the wisdom and the insights of our fellow believers, the, the, the family of God, in the way we hear things and respond to things, in the, in the things we learn and hear when we're doing life together in our connection groups, all that kind of thing. This is the way we get support in our journey. And knowing what this book says, you know, the final comment I can imagine Jesus making in response to the question, how did you handle temptation? Final comment I can imagine him saying is this one. Check my words to the disciples in the garden. Check my words to the disciples. Of course, he's referring to Matthew chapter 26. You know the scene, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is there basically waiting for his Arrest and he's, he's, he's so intense in prayer, it's a, a sweat drops of blood, you know, it's just something we just can't even imagine the level of agony that he was experiencing. And he just asked the guys to pray. Verse 40 of Matthew 26 says, Then he returned to the, th- to the three disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, How is it that you three were not able to keep watch with me one hour? And here's the verse, Keep watch and pray that you will not fall into Temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is that an unusual context to be talking about temptation? Watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. What was the temptation they'd fallen into? Had Jesus sprung them reading something that might make your mother blush? (laughs) Had he found them smoking those funny little cigarettes? You know? And he found them plotting some evil deeds against some enemies? No. He'd caught them asleep after requesting they stay awake and support him in prayer in his final agonising moments before his arrest. So their decision not to pray is regarded by Jesus as a temptation. And they fell into it. Deciding not to pray is a temptation and a serious one. You know, we tend to automatically think of temptation in the areas of money, addiction, sexual immorality. And certainly these are big red lights, we know. But the Bible describes temptation in a whole range of different circumstances. Moses faced the temptation of disobedience. He almost did a runner. When God put the hard word on him about leading the children of Israel, up with all the excuses and he's on the verge of running. Jonah did do a runner when he was asked to speak to the Ninevites. He was off. Off the jopper. And friends, there are many other instances in the Bible where people succumb to the temptation of failing to respond to God's invitation to obey, to serve, to love, to do justice, to show compassion. These are great points of temptation that we don't normally think about. So, our Lord's words to his disciples and to us watch and pray. Watch and pray. In other words, I take that to mean, look, develop a level of spiritual awareness that enables you to respond easily, naturally, willingly to God's bidding. I think that's what watch and pray means. Develop a spiritual awareness where these things are part of who you are. It won't remove temptation. In fact, it may actually increase it. It may actually increase it. But you'll manage it with greater strength and resolve if you're watching and praying. Well, Jesus would have had plenty to say on this topic of temptation. And we would have been all ears because (laughs) it affects all of us. And we'd be hanging on everything that he said. God doesn't cause it, but he does allow it to happen. And whilst we may not understand why, I think we can come to certain conclusions about temptation based on the Word of God and the experience of people over many centuries. I believe it has to do with just what I've said, this watch and pray, the development and the maintenance of of, of spiritual strength. I think that's what it's about. You see, temptation is not meant to make us fall into sin. Temptation is meant to make it possible for us to resist sin, okay? to to show a bit of spine, a bit of backbone, a bit of resistance. Temptation is not meant to make us bad, it's meant to make us good. Temptation is not some kind of, or rather it's not meant to weaken us. It's not meant to weaken us, rather it's meant to make us stronger, finer, more pure, as the, the gold analogy, you know, refinement. Temptation is not some kind of penalty. People think, oh God's, you know, tempting me is getting onto me again. It's not some kind of penalty, it's a privilege. For so the person undergoing uh, during the period of testing, it's a privilege, knowing that they are being strengthened in for greater effectiveness in their service to God. I think that's what James, James chapter 1, verse 2 is really getting at. Look at this: James chapter 1. And, and, and verse 2, this says, James chapter 1, verse 2. That might even be James chapter 1, verse 12. No, it's not. It's James chapter 1, verse 2. Praise God. Here it is. My brothers and sisters, consider yourselves fortunate when all kinds of trials and temptations come your way. There it is. It's not a penalty, it's a privilege. Consider yourselves fortunate because you're going to grow potentially. One thing I do know, and I'm so happy, I'm so relieved about this, is we serve a Jesus who knows what it feels like to be tempted. Isn't it? That's so reassuring, isn't it? He knows that pressure, He knows that reality. And I love this reminder in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Because Jesus suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because he suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those. Friends, I don't know what your point of temptation is. I don't know your areas of vulnerability. You don't know mine, but we all have them. And they're in the little things and the big things. They're in the obvious things and they're in the subtle things. Jesus Christ has been there. He's been there. He's done that. Draw deeply on the strength that he is wanting to give us. Develop that spiritual awareness. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Let's be on press, shall we?